a lot of these young guys, they was just starving and hungry for direction. I mean, if you get somebody in the room that can really meet them where they are and help them navigate their way through the trials and tribulations they are facing, then, I mean, they're willing to do that. They're willing to, they're willing to go on the right path, get back on track. But the people are not connecting with them because the people are far from them where they are. I mean, to meet them where they are. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Started Up Podcast, a member of the Education Podcast Network. Today's episode is a little out of the ordinary. Came across a video recommended from a former guest, Jeff Hoffman, actually one of my favorite episodes ever. And uh, Jeff shared it on LinkedIn, and it was breathtaking. It was uh, a guy talking about forgiveness. And uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but it hooked me because um, the guy had admitted killing this man's brother and how through forgiveness they've made things better. So that's my hook. You should listen to this. This is with uh, Will Little. Um, He's going to have an HBO documentary made about him. He's already had a TED Talk that I think you should look at. I'll have the description uh, in the the, uh, show notes. Um, But this one was, um, it wasn't as much as an interview as it was me being mesmerized by his story. And, uh, Quite honestly, I I think that you'll enjoy it. Enjoy this one with Will Little. All right. I'm excited today to bring on Will Little. Will was recommended to me from Mr. Jeff Hoffman. Will, I saw your video, and then we connected soon afterwards. And um, this is is out of the normal. Uh, Normally, this, this podcast features a lot of times educators, and we, uh, you know, entrepreneurs and things like this nature. But your journey into a lot of times self-discovery and you kind of reinventing yourself was just really inspirational. So um, if you don't mind, let's let's start from the beginning. Okay. From the beginning, let's go back to, um, I guess, uh, when things went um, left. You know, so I was raised in a single parent home with my mother and four sisters and grandmother. You know, I was originally born in North Carolina. Um, my mother and father were married young, age of 15. father was probably 20 or 19 at the time. And she went through a domestic uh, crisis with him. So she packed the bags and took us and moved to Philadelphia. So she became a single parent at that time. We were five or six years old trying to figure out my way, who I am, I mean, what's my purpose in life. And these kind of deep thoughts I was thinking about as a kid because I was an introvert as a young man and always thinking about, you know, different things in life. And I didn't have no one to connect to or relate to because I was in a house full of women. And, you know, my sisters, they could see like my mom and try to mimic her and put makeup on and dress up like that. But I had no one to actually shadow. So a lot of things I had to figure out on my own. So I had that develop that kind of um, thought process where as though, all right, I'm five, I'm seven, eight years old, you know, I got to try to figure things out on my own because I don't have no one to talk to about it. And I didn't talk to my mom too much about it because I didn't think as I grew older, she can relate to, you know, some of my issues or problems, the dilemmas that I face as a young man in the inner city growing up, you know, with a lot of violence, a lot of drug addictions, a lot of drug sales, you know, and um, the things I was exposed to at a young age. My mom, you know, she drunk a little bit to cope with some of her problems because she faced her demons as a young mother, you know, being married young and losing her mother in a car accident. They both was in a car accident. But my, my grandmother passed. My mom was like 11 years old. So she was traumatized by that too as well. 
and all those things I can see like visibly on her uh, physical scars from the accident, you know, her mental scars you know, from dealing with abusive husband and boyfriends and just being traumatized by the loss of her mother. So me just watching that and observing all that kind of energy, you know, kind of made me feel like, you know, I got to grow up and be a man one day. I got to be able to protect my mother. I got to be able to protect my sisters, you know, and just being in those different relationships in that broken home and seeing my mom go through fights with different boyfriends was more so like, man, there's no one here to help us. My father was like a thousand miles away in North Carolina while we was in Philadelphia. My uncles is all out there too. So I really didn't have a relationship with none of them because I didn't know who my father was, especially at the young age, seven, eight years old. I might have visited him when I was like eight, nine, you know, for like a, like a, a month or something like that. But he was always working. So we really never developed a relationship. But I just drive back home on, a, on Greyhound. And um, just growing up in this kind of environment and seeing the things that I saw and Coming, coming of age, like one of the most pivotal moments in my life was when my mother, her boyfriend got into a fight. I was 13 at the time, probably like a buck 40, I mean, about five foot 10. And, uh, you know, I wasn't gonna take it anymore. I heard the arguing and the shouting. And I was like, nah, ain't nobody gonna be hurting my mom or, or my sisters. I mean, because my sisters got into a lot of fights because they were pretty looking young girls. So I wanted to defend them and protect them. So when I came, went into the room, to jump into the fight with my mom and her boyfriend, you know, he threw me off his back and like, you know, stepped to me like I was a man. He's like, you wanna be a man now? You wanna be a man? I was like, yeah. So he's like, all right, you wanna be a man? Come on outside and I'll show you what a man is. Now this guy, I knew that, you know, he, he'd been in and out of jail before. I knew he drank kind of heavy. And I knew that he carried a 38 Dillinger gun, you know, but at that moment I was just too frustrated and too angry to think about any consequences of my actions. You know, so I, had to, I knew I had to do that, I had to go out there had to face my fears. And I went outside and he gripped me up by my chest, threw me against the wall and pulled out his gun and pointed it like 12 inches away from my face, pointed at me. You know, I'm staring at a barrel of gun, looking at his, looking at him in the face. And he's telling me like, don't you ever jump into a fight with me and your mother again. And, you know, I just stared at him so hard and got angry inside and just blacked out. And I didn't hear a word he said after that. So once he let me go, I went back in the house Went upstairs, my mom, she was crying. She's like, you okay? I said, yeah, I'm okay. I said, are you all right? She said, yeah. So I was like, he had left. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm not all right. I mean, at that time I became fearless. You know, I wasn't afraid of the streets. I wasn't afraid of the dark no more. I wasn't afraid of dying. You know, so with that attitude and that mentality, growing up poor, you know, in that kind of environment, and everybody, um, you know, they glorify the violence, they glorify the materialistic things you have that gives you worth and give you value because you got designer sneakers and designer clothes and jackets and you drive this kind of car. So drugs are so accessible and guns are so accessible that I found a way to you know take care of myself without my mom, you know, had to struggle taking care of five children. So I said, I'll be one less person you got to take care of. So at the age of like 14, 15 years old, I started hustling, selling drugs. You know, it was so, it was so easy to get because of my, my best friend's mother, she sold drugs really heavy in the city and she they was making like, thousands and thousands of dollars. And you've seen this money just come in and out the door, you know, every day. So it was so it was like learned behavior. It was like easy to do it. You know, and you didn't think about the consequences because it was happening so much and you didn't see nobody really getting locked up for it. You didn't see nobody really getting hurt for it. So to me it wasn't dangerous at all. It was just all right, we we're right there, we got the clientele, people know us. I mean we could set up shop when your mom closed closed her house down at ten o'clock. We could just be out here all night, eleven, twelve o'clock, nice hustling and selling product. 
So we started doing that and um, started making money and started feeling good about myself, you know, feeling abundantly. I mean, and buy my own clothes, buy my own, own shoes and get my own haircuts. My mother, she she didn't notice these things because I was really good with hiding uh, my money, hiding my funds and hiding my clothes and stuff like that. You know, I would come in the house with the clothes she wore and then take the bag out with the clothes I bought and put them on when I go to my friend's house. So I never been exposed to the things I was doing. And um, only time I probably would have got caught is my sisters would have saw like some of the designer clothes I wore, sneakers and stuff like that cost like $100, $200 and things of that nature. And I eventually stopped going to school at uh, 10th grade, I dropped out because I knew my profession was gonna be a hustler and selling drugs. And that's what I did um, during that time period, 16, 17 years old, 18 years old. And to make a short story shorter, you know, eventually my friend, one of my friends, that he didn't hustle or sell drugs or anything. You know, he just liked to have fun and steal cars. That was his thing, you know, so he wound up getting killed uh, over dispute about his ex-girlfriend. And that kind of really traumatized me again, made me really angry. I blacked out, so angry, trying to look for the person who did that to him so I can, I can get revenge for his death, you know? And um, it just got, that temperament just went up and the anger, emotion, the frustration, all that was there and just hit a boiling point when I got into another altercation with another group of guys in a shootout and I wound up killing um, one of the younger guys that, that was my age, basically. He was like 18, 19 years old. I wound up killing him. And um, my other friend got shot at the same time. So four of us got locked up for the case. Uh, they were seeking a death penalty, uh, trying to give us a, a capital case, murder case for drugs and, and, and murder. Eventually um, that got thrown out and then got decreased to a lesser charge. And I was placed in the worst prison in Pennsylvania called Holmesburg Prison. They called it the Terror Dome. Um, and it was real violent in there, still a violent place, radical, uh, a lot of fights riots, murders, murders get still going on. I've seen like seven people get murdered inside that jail over phones and, and beasts on the street, different things they had on the streets and drugs and, and commissary and gambling. You know, so you still see everything was in the streets, was in the prison, but in a compact place where you can escape from. So when I got into fights and riots and stuff like that with the guards and everything else, my mentality was still the street mentality. So you go through all this and like obviously you're doing time and when when was the pivotal moment that you decided that's it right. I, i'm changing when when was that moment well the moment happened when i first got arrested I, I started thinking about you know my life because now it slowed down you know the jail slowed me down from on a fast paced movement on the street the streets carry because every day you just live second by second you know, so once I got there, I started thinking about my life, like what I'm doing, I'm in jail, I'm gonna be here for the rest of my life, you know. But my girlfriend was pregnant at the time. She was like two weeks pregnant when I got locked up. So nine months later, as I'm still participating in activities and violence and fights in the jail, my son was born, you know, and I had a, had a son. So once my mom, my sister told me on the phone that I had a son, so now I had something to think about. I had a why. Before I didn't have a why. Before it was just, I didn't care about my life or, you know, I was, misdirected, I don't know where I was going at, and I didn't know how to get out of it. But when my son was born, it made me think about, I need something different for him. You know, I was I was raised by my father. So if any way I can be there for him, I need to be there because he's gonna be in this jail, not, or he's gonna be murdered on these streets. You know, so he was my my why. And when I sat down to myself, I started thinking about it after the visit, after they brought him up to see me, 
I got a chance to look at him and everything else and like, you know, really hold him in my hand. It became that factual that I knew I needed to make a transition. I needed to change. And how I was going to do that, I did not know because they didn't have programs for transformation. They had programs in there for, re, um, um, for um, rehabilitation. They didn't have those programs in there for like guys to, you know, really transform their life around. And at the time, I just sat back in my cell and I just started thinking about, you know, I don't want to be in the rest of my life if I don't have to be. If I had the opportunity to get out of jail, I want to get out of jail. But when I get out of jail, I need to be smarter. I need to be sharper. I need to be a man. You know, I need to be a father to my son. So I really got to start right now. I can't wait till I get out of jail. I really got to start changing my life. And the thing that popped in my head was self-awareness, you know. So I knew I had to get educated because I dropped out of school in the 10th grade. And I knew I had to get to know myself, you know, more so. And I started, I started, you know, doing a reevaluation. For some reason, something just led me to these particular thoughts, you know, and I just started doing a reevaluation of my life. How did I become this person? How did I become this angry kid on the street? I started revisiting those moments that gave me those feelings. I mean, those events that gave me those feelings that was tapped into so deep rooted inside me that made me dehumanize myself. And I thought about the time when the guy pulled the gun in my face. I thought about the time my mom, you know, was almost trying to commit suicide. I thought about the time when, you know, my mom was going through all those pressures and, and we was poor and we didn't eat sometimes at night because we had food. We had to make syrup sandwiches and, and, and mayonnaise sandwiches for dinner and stuff like that. So all those times, you know, it built up and it created the person I became. You know, so I knew I had to really peel, peel those layers off, you know, and start, you know, forgiving myself for the things I've done forgive the people who hurt me and hurt my family, you know, and begin to rebuild and reshape my life and just try to do things a different way than I did it before, you know? Yeah. So tell me about your education. Like you said, I had to get educated. What, what did you start working on? What did you fill your mind with? I went back to school and got my GED for one. I wanted to get that um, um, for sure. Cause I was, I was academically inclined in school. So I, I didn't get bad grades. I had like a B and C student average student but I just got tired of school so I dropped out of it and was boring so when I, went, I was in prison I started studying I studied for my GED I got it knocked that out and then I knew I needed to do some self-development so my education didn't come from reading a lot of books like people always asking what did you read and stuff like that I didn't read books I was more so a perception changer I mean I needed to change my perception about how I looked at things and when I start um, hearing speeches or listening to the radio or watching TV or um, 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 just seeing a movie. I mean, like, I did a TED Talk. You can check the TED Talk out. I was on YouTube, too, once she punched my name in. And in the TED Talk, I explained to them that, you know, I watched a Bruce Willis movie. You know, the first, I think the first Die Hard and the second Die Hard. And then when I'm watching this movie, you know, the terrorist told Bruce Willis, like, you're acting off your emotions without using the benefit of your intellect. And when he said that, it just resonated really, really deep to my core. I mean, I was like, damn, that was me. I mean, because I'm a thinker. I'm a quiet person. I sit back and I think about everything. But on the street, I allow my emotions to take advantage and be more become my brain, opposed to my brain leading me. So I allow my emotions to lead me. Yeah. And then um, I didn't think, you know. So I said, now nah, I'm gonna start thinking every day. I gotta start thinking and planning my day, even in jail. I gotta start thinking and planning my day because I was in a hostile environment. I mean, you can get a face in just a, a minute, a minute or a second. Somebody else's emotions are frustrated by whatever they're dealing with, and they try to um, push that energy on you. And most times we respond because we have a drama filter anyway. That's how we grew up. So I just have to learn how to manage my emotions and how I deal with people 
in here. So it was like a level of emotional intelligence without me even knowing a term about emotional intelligence. Some, for some reason, it was, I was just guided in that direction. I mean, I think it was designed by purpose. Knowing my purpose, and at the time I didn't know my purpose, but at the time I knew I needed to change. I needed to be committed to that change. I mean, so I just started just reading and looking at different things and just picking up. I use like um, USA magazines, Jet magazines, anything I read that has something to do with life and growth, you know, and just using my own logic, like what a man to do in a situation. I mean, if I deal with this person, what would a man do? I mean, I'm gonna yeah. do his life to kind of their life. Because when the incident happened, I brother who he was, and I always knew that I heard threats about, you know, the brother's gonna try to come kill you, gonna try to get locked up with you and try to come in jail and kill you. And, you know, the first, um, the first encounter I had was with the father. And the father was locked up in jail after me. He was on a run for 13 years for two homicides. If you ever heard of the, um, the black mafia in Philadelphia, there was a notorious mafia, probably one of the worst um, gangs in mob history when it comes to violence. You know, he was one of the hitmen for the black mafia. So when he came to jail, he was there for like a month or two before he even encountered me. I mean, I knew he was in jail. I didn't know who he looked like or nothing like that, but people were telling me that he was in the jail. So I knew we would eventually have that encounter. So when we did have that encounter, I was just thinking to myself, like, what would I say to a person who killed my son? You know, now I got a son, I'm thinking like more logically. I mean, you know, what would I feel like? I mean, what I, should I have this conversation with him at all? I mean, so um, when I did meet him, um, he didn't know he was gonna run into me and I didn't know I was gonna run into him. So he started talking to me like, well, I, I heard about what happened with you and my son. I understood, I mean, the streets, rules of the streets and things like that. I just wanna know what really took place, what happened with my son do or what, did you take advantage of, et cetera, et cetera. So I wasn't trying to engage in that conversation because you don't tell your case to nobody because people turn state evidence on you and then get you convicted. So I just, you know, whatever you heard, that's what happened, basically. I mean, and he said, you know, whatever it is, you know, I want to be forgiven for what I've done, so I want to forgive you. But I didn't feel his forgiveness was sincere. You know, I mean, I'm a good reader of people. I can read people's body language and emotions. Like I said, I had a level of emotional intelligence back then as a teenager. So I didn't really take that. I didn't feel that energy from him as far as forgiveness concerned. So I always still watched him and everything else while I was in the prison. He tried to get close to me and want to be a friend, but I know there was, there was something behind it. There was some hidden agenda behind it. So I didn't really get connected with him. Then he wound up getting convicted and then going to jail for double life. And I got convicted and went to jail for 20 years. So when I came home, I knew about the brother that was still out there, was still lurking in the mist. I didn't want to see who he, what he was, who he was. I didn't want to know what he looked like because I had a clear focus and a vision of where I was trying to go. And I wasn't trying to go back to the streets in any kind of way. I mean, I know that I didn't want to be tested as far as with my anger is concerned with somebody who's trying to threaten my life or come at me in any kind of way because I had a son out there and I had a responsibility to take care of. So at any, any cost, I was gonna try to avoid any confrontation with any of his family members. Cause I know a lot of them thought I had life in prison, but I didn't, or his friends. You know, so I had some confrontation. I did have to step to some of his friends too at the time cause they were saying, saying stuff about me that, you know, I'm gonna get him or do this and that. So I just confronted one of his friends who said, you know, put threats out there about my life. I want to talk to him and just come to a, um, and cease that part right there. If you're gonna do something, you're not. Just cease, cease this conversation, cease the talking about it. You know, because I want a whole different thing right now. You know, it's 10 years in the past, I mean, and everything else. So um, three years ago, his brother been in and out of prison. So three years ago, he came home. He walked in the barbershop. I thought he was a client. 
because I got to work early. Some I normally go to work early at 8.30, 9 o'clock, but for some reason I was up and I went to work early. He walks in the barbershop and he's like, you know, I want to talk to you. And I was like, hold up for a second. I got to um, put my stuff together in my station. And he said, no, I want to talk to you. So I looked at him. I was like, okay. I thought it was somebody like somebody, somebody's son or I mean, somebody's father or kid I cut, somebody that's so why I didn't know who he was. So when he said that, I really paid some attention. I walked over to him, looked in his eyes. I said, what's going on? He said, I forgive you. Man, he pointed at me, he looked in my eyes, said, I forgive you. So when I looked at him, I knew who he was immediately when he said that. So I was like, okay, I said, well, thank you, bro, thank you. you know what I mean, and he looked at me and said, sincerity, and I just watched him, looked at him, and see if he was sincere. And I looked in his eyes, I could see that he was really sincere about what he was saying. I mean, because I could feel the emotion on it, I could feel the energy coming off of him. So I said, look, bro, so let's go in the back and let's talk some more about this. I mean, so I had a sense that he wanted to say something, but he just ain't know how to say it. So we went in the back, we talked about, you know, growing up, how we grew up, you know, and he's seen the work I was doing in the community as far as talking to children and, and trying to change people's lives and trying to stop violence, being an advocate in the community, a community activist and everything else. He's seen the work I was doing. So he said everywhere he was going, everybody was saying, go talk to Leo, go talk to that brother. I mean, there was some guys who was edging him on, yo, you got that dude walking around, you need to kill this guy, man, because, you know, your brother did, he walking around, some of his family members were saying that to him because he was a guy on the street, he was a street guy, he was a shooter, you know, he was known for that kind of uh, activity, you know what I mean, and violence. So they always thought he would probably be the one to come and try to get revenge for his brother's death. But, you know, he said he was struggling, he was having nervous breakdowns, you know, and and sometimes he tried to do, actually kill me, but somebody came or somebody got in the way or somebody saw him. I mean, it was always diverted some kind of way. And it's like, just you could just see like it wasn't meant to happen. So he just said he had to do one thing or another. He had to walk in, the, in there and with his gun in the barbershop and confront me and and maybe and, and hope that I probably respond in a, in, a, in, a, in a negative way. And then he had to use his gun on me or maybe just say, I forgive you and get it off his chest. And when he said that, he said, when I responded to him, like everything just, you know, just went away. Basically, it's like the whole relief just went off his shoulders when we talked and everything else. Wow. So we stay connected. I said, look, let's, let's do something with this, this, this message we got, man. We, got, we live in a city where it's so violent and so many murders, uh, yeah. 200 murders a year. I said, we need to put this message out there to people to show them that there are other ways to solve disputes besides picking up a gun because everybody loses in that situation. You lose, I lose, yeah. my family loses, your family loses. I mean, so that's the message we've been pushing out there for the last three years, and uh, it's been well accepted, received all around. Yeah, it 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 was a powerful moment. I when I saw your video and and saw your friend, it was uh, powerful to watch. But what I also love is what you just said. There's um, there's just a lot of anger, and um, I I yeah I. I just love to hear when you were saying, yeah, look, you know, we got to get the message out. And, you know, when you had that talk and you had that video put out and then, and then some of the Ted, like Ted talk you've done, everything else, I just loved it. And I wanted to have you on the show just because I, one, I want to amplify that message. And two, I like the fact, no, I love the fact that you went on a learning journey. You know, I'm a school teacher <laughs> and some people, people learn in different ways. And, and, you know, you, in, in a lot of ways, and I know that you've already admitted this, like your salvation was is that you got put away right. and you had time to think and you had time to like re reflect. But then just the, the powerful moment of him coming into the barbershop and saying, all right, one of two things is going to happen. And he chose what he chose. And then, 
And then from that, like that could, that, I mean, the story could end there. And that was a great story. Right. But what I love, Will, is you're like, okay, let's really turn a tragedy into something good. Right. And, uh, and now I, I will have to say, so have you gotten any pushback for this? Like, oh, you're just capitalizing off of something horrible or have you just been, you know, yeah. Has it been pushback or has it been all supportive? I mean, it's been well received by everyone. You know, because everybody in that place of, of hurt and pain. I mean, we are, we are, we're an environment that is hurting. And because of that, people need to see visuals like that. I mean, because we don't see the stuff. This, these stores are not yeah. cool. Yeah. You know, so that's why it was important for me to reach out to the media. Well, uh, yeah, not not told as as authentically. I mean, sometimes you see an overly dramatized TV show right. or a movie and things like this. Watching the rawness of the video you posted and then your TED talk, you're right. Like <laughs> it's it's a real moment that that needs to be shared more. Now, I I've got some super good friends of mine who are trying to do so I live in Indianapolis and, and they're doing great work in a, in a city and in, in, in the city is, is a section called Brightwood. And, and um, I know that I've heard them kind of talk about trying to reach the youth and sometimes the difficulties of that. What's been, what's been your pain point? What's been like the number one hardest thing to get through to the people you really want to get through to? Well, it's, it's, to me, it's not hard at all. It's, 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 it's easy. It's an easy task for me because I never was detached from the youth, right? I'm a barber and I have three sons, you know, in different stages of life. You know, one is 28 now, one is 19 and one is uh, 13. So understanding the language and the mentality as it shifts summer to summer, I'm right on point with that because I talk to a lot of young people, I dialogue with a lot of youth, I go to a lot of schools, I go to juvenile centers and everything else. And I was one of them. I mean, I'm not far removed from those particular emotions and feelings and what they're going through. I know exactly what they need. I mean, so when I go speak anywhere, I mean, I know how to actually resonate with them and meet them where they are. So a lot of them feel that it's a feeling they get. It's, it's not just an emotional part, but it's a feeling they say that you you can, you can feel me. You know what I'm saying? And me feeling them, now they say, I want to know how to get out of this. I want to know how to do what you did. I want to know how to transform my life. Yeah. So I just did a video as a, as a place I pay called St. Gabe's. I just visited St. Gabe's uh, probably three weeks ago, and it's like seven young men. I had them in a room. It's like an art class, but the art instructor brought me in and just talked to the young men in there because let them the way get out of get out of juvenile sentence, and they've been reverted back and forth home, back in prison, home, back in prison, and they like a lot of these systems are doing a disservice to our youth or to our adults because they're not really servicing them well. They're not educating themselves well enough. I mean, so. They're not re-educating themselves to even grow along with the times places they are facing. Then, I mean, they're willing to do that. They're willing to they're willing to get on the right path, get back on track. But the people are not connecting with them because the people are far, far from them where they are. I mean, to meet them where they are, I have the ability to connect with people, you know. And recognizing that gift is that I just use it to a maximum level. I mean, and it's just, for me, it's it's more so learning. I mean, I'm I'm the student when I go into the room with a bunch of young people. I don't yeah. think I go in there and I have the solutions to everybody's problem. So at first, like a doctor, I mean, you're a doctor, you're doing a service, you're trying to heal people. So like a doctor, he's going to ask you what is wrong first before he start operating on your eye when you got you need a knee surgery. I mean, so it's it's that level of teaching. If you're a teacher, then you got to continue to learn over. You know, you know, learning is very very important in order for you to learn situations and circumstances and 
and and different uh, different um, events that take place, so you be able to serve as a person correctly. And everywhere I go, every speech I give is different. Why? Because it's tailored to the energy that I feel in the room. Now, I mean, if I go to a prison, I ain't gonna say the same thing that I go to a school. If I go to a school, I ain't gonna say the same thing. If I go to a conference, I mean, we're a bunch of adults, rich, rich, educated people. So I kind of tailor my my speech based on the energy in my room. I mean, and I connect that way. That's awesome. So, other than you, you know, you're speaking, you're you're doing all these things, like, and I can tell you're goal oriented. What's next? Well, I have a documentary coming out uh, called "Behind the Bullet." It's, it's going to be on HBO sometime. We're doing a preview, doing a, um, a reviewing of it uh, in LA, uh, October or November, and we're doing one in New York, even October, November. So I'm not sure the months and what place we're going to be at. But that was really, really big. That's going to be a major, uh, a major documentary. My first documentary that got an Emmy Award. That that Power Forgiveness. I don't know if you've seen that one about me and Clarence. The Power Forgiveness is a South Philly story. And when you've seen, we talking in a barbershop about, I mean, what we've been doing, but they did a documentary on that three years ago. Yeah. And Fox News, they got an Emmy Award for that. But this documentary is done by some uh, producers out of Portland, Oregon. And it's called Behind the Bullet. It's just featuring me, myself, and three other individuals who had, um, exp- um, had um, actually um, experienced some kind of, um, um, trauma with guns, basically, you know, so that's, that's, that, I mean, she flew here like two weeks ago to show me the finishing edits of the documentary and, you know, I loved it. My mom loved it. That's exciting. And when is that coming out? You said? It's coming out sometime by the end of the year. Okay. HBO. I love HBO documentaries. That's awesome. Well, Willie, I, I sincerely appreciate you coming on. Um, it's been fun uh, starting to fall down the rabbit hole of some of your stuff, TED Talks. Uh, I'm going to check out the other documentary. But just the fact that you're bringing so much impact and, and you're starting to go in and talk, you know, to the youth and get them to slow down and get them to think. It's just, man, so vitally important. And, and uh, I just, you know, let me know in the future how I can support and how I can help spread your message and all that other good stuff. But, uh, I, you know, Thank you for all that you're doing and uh, all that you continue to do. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate you um, coming on the show and everything else and having my message get out there. Uh, one thing, you can, if you can share the documentary that was on YouTube already, share the TED Talk with your friends, talk to your friends out there who are actually advocating to the youth. If they want to bring a speaker out there, I'm, I'm willing to come out uh, there and speak to uh, that population too as well. You know, so I'm just trying to build my resume up in the country and that's, that's the kind of work I'm trying to do full time. Love it. Share my message. Yeah, I'll definitely have that. A, I'm keeping this part in the show, and then B, I'll have all those links in the in the show notes. So, Willie, appreciate you being on, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me.